Welcome to the Clark Howard Show. And normally I would talk about what our goals and purposes are and what we do for you. But I want to jump right in right now to the shooting, the domestic terrorist attack that happened at the Republican baseball practice for uh, members of Congress from the Republican Party. It is by longstanding tradition that the Republicans and the Democrats play a game each year. The Republicans were in early morning practice in the Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C. The, uh, the shooter, the terrorist, is dead. And our country, once again, visited by violence. And I want to tell you something. I'm old enough. I'm going to turn 62 next week that I came of age in the 1960s, a time of enormous unrest in the United States. And we had several assassinations, one after another, it felt like. During the 1960s, we had riots in the streets. And the level of anger in the country was intense. You know, we as a country need to take a deep breath because if you are younger than I am, you probably know almost nothing about what went on in America in the 1960s. And I should add by extension, there was unrest similar of nature in other parts of the world, particularly in parts of Western Europe, like there is today. And not being part of that era, it's like, what was all that about? And you go back through our history as a country, there have been various times that the level of anger has led to irrational acts, violence, horrific things. And we are in a time right now that our disagreements with each other, our differences are magnified by any of a number of reasons, including social media, the relative anonymity of the internet, the crazy postings people do, and we need to remember that among Americans that we don't agree with, they are still our fellow Americans. They are not our enemies. We have plenty of enemies out there, outside the United States, without turning on each other. Every time in American history we lost sight of that, we as a country suffered bloodshed. And I just want to encourage you, if you are inflamed with the political anger of the current era, please take a step back and remember that people who you disagree with are not your enemies. And I think late President Reagan expressed it best, as did his longtime friend, who was the Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, who both embodied a key concept, and that is to disagree without being disagreeable. I express my sympathies, my condolences to those 
who were attacked in this, and I wish a quick survival for those who do survive, and I hope that we as a nation will take an opportunity to grieve together and learn together. Now, I wanted to move to a different topic, also current and fresh, and that is the horrific fire that took place in England with enormous loss of life. And there's going to be a lot about whether there were um, substandard conditions in the, fi- in the apartment fire in London. But I just want to say to you, with your own house, your own apartment, especially if you live in multifamily housing, please make sure that you have working smoke detector- detectors in your place. And we live in a home with a high second floor that's pretty far off the ground. And so we do a fire drill twice a year in our house. And the kids that live upstairs, they have ladders in their rooms that we've taught them how to use that if we can't reach them during a fire, that they can hopefully safely lower themselves to the ground. And I just think that when we have so far fewer fires than we used to have because of the dramatic improvement, particularly in electrical wiring and houses, that we get a little lazy about the potential danger from fires because they are so seldom now. So I want you to think about what is the plan in your house. If you have kids, what do they know to do? And you need to drill because six months in a kid's life is like years in our lives. And that's why you should do it twice a year at the changeover from daylight time to standard time, from standard time back to daylight time so that the kids remember what they need to do. I mean, that's what we do in our family. And if you have kick that smoke detector to the curb because it went off one more time while you were cooking in the kitchen. Bad idea. In fact, we have, I'm so obsessed about this, we have smoke detectors at every bedroom in our house. And so this shows you my full length of paranoia. We have carbon monoxide detectors in every bedroom in our house. I guess I take being prepared to an extreme a lot. Josh is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Josh, you have been phenomenal in real estate, have you not? Oh, we've been doing okay so far. Thanks. How many rental properties do you have now? Um, got we got six. We just closed on one at the end of March, and I'm I'm actually cleaning this one up, starting to hopefully take some pictures today and list it. So this will be number six. Well, good for you. And do you pay cash for each of your rentals, or do you take out a mortgage for each of them? Well, there were four. We got conventional loans, and um, then there were two. We've got investors. They're actually family investors, so we were able to buy cash, use cash for two of them. So those two, though, are they, they secured, or are they unsecured loans? 
No, no. We we've created a mortgage, so they're essentially the bank. Okay, so they are they are private mortgages, but they're mortgages nonetheless. Correct. Okay. Well, how can I be of service to you? Well, we've gotten to a point. Um, you know, the uh, we, my wife and I created a goal that um, we would like to have ten rental homes, and I think the tax implications change once you get beyond ten. Um, at anyway, the reason we wanted to do it was for retirement. Um, I don't have a, a traditional retirement plan, and this seemed to be a good option. I'm, I kind of enjoy it. I'm okay. I think I do okay at it, um, being property manager and everything. Well, so we're at number six here, and there, uh, my, <laughs> I do several different things for uh, to make money, and you know, I kind of look at this now. We, we've been lucky enough to be in to have bought uh, some of these homes 2013, 2014. Uh, of course, 2017 now, but uh, there's been some equity that's, that we've gained for some of these homes. And now I'm thinking, well, gosh, it'd be great to pull some of that out, pull some of the equity out and use it. I'm trying to decide if we should go ahead and, you know, pull some of that equity out, use it for cash to buy some more rental homes just to get to our, our 10 number. Or maybe I am feel a little ambitious that I could um, flip something. Um, that's that's kind of the next project level. I can do a lot of this work myself. There's well, that's the key to being a successful person. Flipping is you got to be able to do the work yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you find, you know, houses are not at all, as you referred back to, they're not at all the deal they were earlier this decade or the end of last decade. So now you're buying things that are typically more fully priced unless you buy a really sad house that the the bones of the house are good but it looks really crummy or dated or needs repairs and so that's where the opportunity tends to be now is in the homes that are beat up unloved and so if you are that kind of person who can do work yourself i i think instead of flipping you should, because you already are systematized at being a landlord, you keep doing that. Now, I want to go back to something you said, and we'll get back to the cash out you were asking about. Okay. The thing you talked about, about going past 10 and that triggering a different set of rules, it may trigger more favorable circumstances for you. Mm-hmm. As you get closer to 10, you want to sit down with... a uh, a CPA who does tax or an enrolled agent that's somebody who's uh, enrolled with the IRS to do tax work and you may find that you actually have more benefit being considered to be a professional landlord past 10 than what you have today. Well, I've got one additional thing here. I've, I got my real estate license this past fall. I don't know how that changes anything. Of course, I'm managing and doing all these homes for myself. Yeah, so that I'm depends on landlord-tenant law in your state. Okay. Whether holding a real estate license makes you automatically considered to be a professional landlord. Now, where uh-huh. that comes in is if there's a dispute with a tenant, you're held generally to a higher standard in most states if you are considered to be a professional landlord versus just somebody who has on the side some rental properties. Mm-hmm. And I can't speak to how that would work in any specific state. That's just something to be aware of. On the cash out, I wouldn't go that direction. Here's how I would look at this. You have enough track record now 
that you don't need to rely on family members anymore. You need to get front and center with the president of a local bank. Okay. And what you're talking about in real estate investing circles, they refer to this as being a mezzanine borrower. That because you are an entrepreneur, you built this business, you're showing your successful track record with how you've systematized identifying properties, buying them, rehabbing them, and renting them out, you are someone who should be able to go to a local bank that you meet their criteria and you borrow money for rental properties to purchase rental properties for what is known as being held in portfolio by the bank where they hold the loan on their own books. So you're not trying to hit all the check marks that some um, loan underwriter like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or whoever would be doing behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So in your circumstance, start thinking about, well, how do we pull some cash out of this, use this cash to buy something else and all that? You're adding unnecessary complexity in your life. Right, okay. And that's, that's why I, I want about. you to go... Uh, basically interview bank presidents. Okay, so it's this is... Uh, I, I, well, I imagine this may be a kind of a common practice, and is it something that... I, I guess my concern is, you know, if I'm showing up at these banks and, and speaking with the president and everything, I'm, I'm not the first person who's ever come up and thought about this, you know. I, yeah, I but you're exactly the kind of business the bank is looking for because, you know, you're showing a record, a uh, track record of building equity in these properties. You're showing a track record of net profit in the rental properties. You've got enough years behind you with rental properties that you are like the made-to-order candidate. And what I would do is join a local real estate investors group. They're all over the country. And among the network of people you meet, you'll learn, oh, I went to this bank and this is how they worked with me. I went to that bank and they were terrible. I mean, you learn from each other how the game is played behind the scenes. And you're going to be successful no matter what. I can already tell that. I just want to help you increase the success with less hassle. Today's Clark Rageous moment is about something that has been a longstanding gripe of mine is that there had been a problem in the United States where when somebody was locked up, a prisoner commits a crime, you know, commits a crime, they got locked up in prison. One of the most important things as part of a prisoner not recommitting a crime is to keep contact with family, that it gives them something to hope for, look forward to. And, you know, a lot of prisoners have children and you don't want them to lose contact with their kids. Well, there was a court ruling that eliminated a a federal rule that takes us back to the old system where a family, in order to talk with an inmate, has to pay typically around the country $10 a minute for a phone call. $10 a minute. And a lot of this is involved in local corruption, where uh, political insiders operate these miniature phone companies. They get the contract for doing the phone calling at the prison, and who knows who all's pockets are lined with the $10 a minute money. This is so short-sighted, and the court may have been right that under the law, 
the FCC, which had put in the tight rules to prevent the gouging of prisoners' families, said that they didn't have the authority. But to the states and local prisons that are ripping off the families of prisoners, this is just so wrong and so uncalled for because it undoes what we'd like to do. You know, if somebody commits a crime, they need to be punished for it. But at the same time, when their sentence is up, we want them to re-enter society, rejoin society, and become a contributing member of that society. And having the connection to family is one of the keys to making that happen. We'll be right back. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address. And ClarkDeals.com is where you get deals, but okay, I got to talk about the weirdest, the weirdest sizzling deal that I think I've had to talk about in years. This is just odd. It is a, I was going to play money-saving moment, but it's so unusual And the hoops may be more than you want to jump through. But here's the deal. Sprint is offering a semi-secret deal that if you'll bring your family plan from whoever you're with, principally Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile, they will give your family up to five people unlimited data unlimited talk, unlimited text for one year. No contract. If you get to Sprint and you hate it, you just port your number back to whoever you were with or whoever you decide to go to. You end up paying per line some government junk fees that end up being, I think, around $2.5 a month per line. But other than that, your family of five pays no cell phone bill for an entire year. Now, that's pretty ridiculous crazy. Now, Sprint's thing on it is that it costs them more than the few thousand dollars you'll save in a year for the acquisition costs of marketing so heavily to get somebody to come to them. So what you do is you go to Sprint.com, and there's a section there where you put in your existing phone number, actually numbers from your family plan, and they'll tell you one by one that you're eligible for this deal for a year's free service. At the end of the year, it already says what your family plan rate would be, which is um, perfectly reasonable, a little lower than what AT&T or Verizon charge, a little higher than what T-Mobile charges for a family plan but you get the next year for zero. I mean, it's an opportunity by jumping through the hoops. We have some of the hoops at Clark.com because there's some things you got to know about what phone you can use and all that. But it is an opportunity if you meet the check marks to save a couple of grand over a year. I mean, it's not easy saving money, right? And here they're just going to give it to you by giving you free service. Now, here's the thing. I said 
Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T. But let's say you were somebody else. Let's say you were Straight Talk or uh, Metro PCS or Boost. Well, Boost is Sprint. They're going to do it with them. Uh, whoever you're with, Cricket, if you go and you put in your phone numbers and you're with one of the, the uh, what, I guess we call them second-tier carriers, it will show you whether or not you're eligible for the free. They will not tell us because they really want to keep this hush-hush. They don't want everybody coming to them. They just want incremental market share, and that's why I'm doing exactly what they don't want, making noise about it. But I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't let you know that this was available and the pitches they've been doing that have been on industry blogs and been on some uh, some consumer sites have been all about Verizon. Because Verizon, everybody knows Verizon is so vulnerable right now in the cell phone industry because of the capacity problems they're having and the significantly higher prices Verizon charges than others. And so uh, everybody in the industry has been specifically targeting a weakened Verizon, but it's not just for Verizon. It's for people with potentially most any company. And if I didn't mention, I should emphasize, even if I did mention, you can only do this online. You cannot do this at a Sprint store. Denise is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Denise. Hi. How are you doing? I am doing fine. Thank you for taking my call. And Certainly. Helping all of us people out. I have a question about my insurance, and I have a major insurance provider. Um, this is for auto, and I feel like we are paying too much money, uh, and that perhaps there are things that we could nix out of our coverage. And I want to ask you, have you had any accidents or tickets in the last three years? Um, my husband and I have not. We do have a son that is on ours, and I do not believe that he has had um, any tickets. None of us have had accidents. So one thing you could look at, in addition to whatever you're going to ask me now, is to shop your, your auto insurance with other companies. Okay. Because I see the company you're with, and they have a pretty poor record for customer service okay for how they handle claims and things and you may find you're able to get with somebody else okay at a lower premium okay than who you're with now so if you're in the thought process of shopping it might be a great idea for you to to look at shopping but tell me what areas of coverage you're thinking of changing regardless of whether you stay with who you're with or go somewhere else well, right now, um, the, we have, for the liability, we have 25500 for each, uh, each occurrence on the bodily injury and 100000 for um, each occurrence of property damage. And we, we've kind of thought that we didn't know that we needed that high, but it seems like people who insure us seem to think so. And uh, I would say that that is a conservative amount. Okay. of liability to have. And here's why. If you're in an accident, your fault, somebody gets injured, and they go first to the hospital emergency room, and then they might have to have a surgery or whatever, 
you're going to blow so far past that liability you have, you're not even close. Okay. So, uh, but as to whether you need a lot of liability coverage, that's determined by something else I call the success tax. Okay. And what the success tax is, is that if you are in a position where you have a lot of assets, you've done a good job saving, uh, you have equity in your home, you become more vulnerable from a catastrophic accident to somebody coming to take everything you got. Mm-hmm. And so if you, are you that person? Have you? We are. We don't have any debts on automobiles or housing or anything like that. And we do have some savings. So in, you know, retirement funds and things like that. So So I would suggest you actually might want to consider having something known as an umbrella insurance policy that sits on top of your homeowners and auto. And umbrella policies deal with the very remote chance, very rare, that something really bad would happen at your house or when one of you are driving and would lead to a great potential financial loss that the umbrella policy comes in and sits on top of your homeowner's liability and your auto liability. Okay. And those policies are relatively cheap. They're sold in multiples of a million dollars. Okay. And you buy those for a couple hundred dollars a year, and they cover your overall universe of your life. Okay. So I really like those when you have been good at living on less than what you make or good at investing or whatever where you have assets. Now, would I buy that through my um, insurance company? Exactly. Okay. Now, uh, going back to how to lower premiums, Mm -hmm. at the same time, all I've done is cost you more money. (laughs) My favorite thing for you to look at is raising your deductibles on both your auto and your homeowners. Okay. Because you don't want to make claims for small things. In fact, I want to address that soon on the show. Let's see if we can do that soon. Because there are certain factors involved now with how auto insurers and homeowners insurers are grading you Mm -hmm. that make it a double advantage to you to raise your deductibles because you get a lower premium and you're less tempted to make small claims. And, you know, we know that when you make a claim, your rate is going to go up. So even though we have a low deductible, we never use it. So then in your case, it would be, especially since you have done a good job saving money, raise your deductibles probably as high as your insurer will allow. Okay. And that would be the side I'd save money on. Okay. But but because you're thinking about all this, I want to reiterate, this is the time to shop. Okay. And did anybody in your family, did either you or your husband, serve in the military? No, but my son, who is on our insurance still, is, and I, that probably doesn't do any it might, for us. Okay. It might. I mean, he could certainly join USAA. Okay. And I don't know. I've never had the question if a parent is able to join USAA because of a, a child having it. Okay. But USAA is one of the two. Kim says no. Okay. All right. Our producer, how did you do that research that quick, Kim? I'm impressed. Anyway, <laughs> but for your son, while he's serving, it'd be great for him to join USAA in some capacity because it is one of the two best insurers in the country. Okay, good. 
Can I ask you another question about uninsured motorist insurance? Yes, uh, uninsured motorist, often referred to as underinsured motorist, mm-hmm. is something I recommend that you have. Okay. Because what it does is, let's say somebody hits you, it's their fault, and they either are uninsured or have what are pitiful minimums required in most states. Okay. So let's say you have a friend riding in your car and they get injured and you don't have uninsured motorists. Do you know they have to sue you hmm. to get their medical bills covered? Yeah, that's Even not... though it wasn't your fault at all? Yeah. I mean, UM is great to have because although in many states... It's somewhere between 20% and a third of people are riding around without insurance. It seems you always get hit by that person. So I really like uninsured motorist coverage. And good luck with the shopping. Joel, you want to do an Ask Clark here? Yeah, let's, right? let's do that, Clark. Bill wrote in, he says, I'm starting a new business. Can I easily do all that I need to do, my accounting and reports and so on, through an online bank? All your reporting accounting and reporting through an online bank. So I guess I'm not quite sure what that question means, if that means that you'll have the information you need to put into uh, something like Quicken or whatever. You should have potentially more capability to do the accounting you need to do and the record keeping you need to do with an online bank than you would even with a traditional brick and mortar because from the ground up, the online banks have been designed to do things electronically. That's a good answer. And Chris wrote in, he says, Clark, you had a lady call in recently about a scam on Craigslist. You told her to post uh, post on Facebook trade groups. He says, I hate to tell you, but there are scammers there as well. And a lot of the administrators don't do their due diligence in checking new people out before adding them to a group. So people need to be aware on the Facebook groups as well. All right. So the thing with that is that the caliber and quality of the Facebook community groups does vary. Uh, My family members are in a number of the Facebook community groups, and they know which ones tend to be tightly controlled and which ones aren't, and so that is great advice. You want to do one more, Joel? Yeah, let's it take. Looks like you were getting ready. Sure, to let's up. take one more. Jill wrote and said, "There's a free people search site. You type your name in it, and it'll provide all your past, present addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, names of family members. It certainly seems like a violation of your privacy rights. They say you can opt out, but it seems sketchy to do that. Is this a scam or a catfish scheme? Catfish scheme. Don't know that term. Yeah, I think it's." Uh, 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 trying to capture your information. Exactly, yeah, get all your information. So uh, the, the one that I talked about the most that you could find out incredible information about people no longer is available for free with a public face. You have to pay now for it. But information public record is so widely available that if you, you want to creep yourself out, just go Google yourself and or Google a street address or whatever and see how much information comes up. And there's no way in the United States to put that information back in the bottle. We don't have something common overseas, which is what's referred to generally translated in English, is the right to be forgotten. Cecile is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Cecile, you're buying a new truck. Congratulations. 
Well, thank you. I haven't bought it yet because I can't seem to get answers to this question. Um, I've been dealing with the dealership for about two years over the recalled airbags. Oh, the Takata airbags. Yeah, I didn't know whether I could say the name or not. But Oh, yeah, they're the ones. I mean, it's a fully uh, known story that Takata was selling these defective airbags and continued to sell them even after they knew they were defective. Right. I've just had the second defective one replaced on the passenger side. So, you know, it doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that it really is, you know, fixed, but I have to go with what they tell me. But then when I was talking to the salesman about buying a new truck, I said, what kind of airbags do you use in your trucks now? And he kind of looked at me like I had two heads, and I said... Because there's no way the salesperson would know. And in fact, even with a manufacturer, it's possible they're using sourcing airbags from more than one manufacturer anyway. Oh, okay. So you you just don't know what you're getting, right? Except, to my knowledge, and I've read a lot about the ongoing saga with the Takata airbags, Uh there are no vehicles being sold in the United States today that are being sold with any possible defective airbags. That, I mean, there could be an airbag system that's being sold that but unknowingly know has yeah. some form yeah. of defect in it. Right. But, but hopefully, because they've had all these problems, they're a little bit more careful about that. So, I, you know, I kind of felt like that was the case. But, you know, I, I hated to buy the same kind of truck you know and then just have the same kind of problems again so you don't think i need to worry i don't think lightning's going to strike twice and the great (laughs) news is even though you had the defective airbags nothing bad ever happened to you correct which has been true for most people i mean the the defect in the takata airbags is terrible because uh someone's just minding their own business and next thing they know uh, well they don't know but they're dead and but it's been It's been a rare occurrence that the defect with the Takata airbags has been uh, a disaster for someone, has been fatal for someone. But if you go buy that truck today, Cecile, I think you can rest easy that the airbags in it will do just what they're supposed to do. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show, and we'll be right back. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. Clark.com slash ask is how you ask me a question. If you want to ask a question, that's available nine hours every weekday. It's free. You can talk with a member of our team, something we've been doing for right at 25 years, answering your questions for free off the air on your smartphone if you go to clark.com you'll see how you can click to call right from there and if you're at a desktop or laptop and you go to clark.com move down the home page and you'll see how to call in for free off the air advice this is something free amazon as i talked just recently is doing a lot of initiatives to reach the portion of the population that just has not been interested in buying from Amazon at all. Amazon, with all its success, has found that it's reaching an overall sliver of the marketplace. That sliver may be very loyal, but they're very heavily wealthier people 
on the East Coast and the West Coast. And on the two coasts and then everywhere in between, Amazon would like to get more customers. And that's why they have the initiative for people on food stamps where they can be prime members at $5.99 a month, which is a big discount. And then the people are eligible for the lower cost, the free shipping actually, and the free streaming of movies and music and all that. And it's month to month, so if somebody can't afford it anymore, can't afford the $5.99 or isn't using Amazon, they can drop out, no harm, no foul. And then the college student thing at $49 a year, as long as you got the EDU address. And now Amazon is all part of this initiative, has something called Amazon Cash, and they're offering a deal right now that if you buy some Amazon Cash... You put $20 into Amazon Cash, they give you 30 in spending. That's pretty good, isn't it? And so they're trying to get name recognition with Amazon Cash, the largest outlet to buy an Amazon Cash card. Actually, you just basically have it on your phone. Is to go to a CVS. Then there are some convenience stores that you can go to and you get the Amazon cash. This is good till the end of August that you can use the extra cash and you have to get the Amazon cash card or money by the end of July. So here's the concept. There are lots of people who have sworn off credit cards. And so how do you shop online without a credit card? It's tough, right? I mean, I have a bank account or whatever. So your phone becomes like a payment portal, and Amazon Cash is how you can essentially buy from Amazon without having a credit card. Now, once the promotional period's over and you don't get the 30 for 20 or any of that, if you get hooked on buying from Amazon... You can go to the participating convenience stores and retailers and all that. And isn't it funny they're cooperating with Amazon? And you buy Amazon cash and there's no fee added to it. You know, it's not like the typical ripoff gift card thingy. You actually just get the Amazon credits that you can use to buy from Amazon. And this idea of making cash electronic or digital is something there's going to be a behind-the-scenes big battle on. And, you know, Amazon has different companies they compete against in different areas of what Amazon's about. You know, they've got this huge rivalry with Microsoft over serving corporate customers for their storage, you know, cloud storage. And they've got the big battle with eBay and the formerly eBay-owned PayPal, and so there's a lot of fighting going on there. PayPal now has its own version of cash, and so this is an ongoing story with continuing change and potential opportunity for you. Luke is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Luke. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, Luke. You are going to take me down an arcane 
fork of the 401k, aren't you? Yeah. With my new job, I've been offered three options, the traditional, the Roth, and after-tax as elections to put my money in. Traditionally, I've been putting it in Roth with previous employers, but now that I have the after-tax option, I'm not sure what that is or who would want to use it. What a great question. All right, so very few employers offer the after-tax 401k because the reality is most people don't save up to the maximum of a traditional or Roth 401k. But employers are allowed to offer when you go past the limits for contributing to a uh, traditional or uh, Roth 401k, which is 18000 a year, unless you're past age 50, in which case it's 24000 a year. So if you – have I gone into rarefied air that we don't even really need to go further, or should I keep going? Well, I'm just curious. What would be the advantage of putting money into the 401k after you reach that limit versus just putting it into uh, one of your favorite low-cost providers? All right, so here's the idea of the after-tax 401k. You're allowed to put in money past 18000 up to, if I remember right, 54000 So you can put in another... Was that $36,000 a year into retirement funds? And these are good problems to have, right? <laughs> and yeah. so you can put that money in, and there's no tax ever owed on the money you contribute to it. But the earnings that the after tax 401k has, they're taxed, but only at the time you would spend the money. So it's almost like a blend of a Roth and a traditional, but not quite as good as either. Okay, so let's, in the situation, if I max out the Roth IRA and the Roth 401k, would you recommend putting it into after-tax versus just... uh, Into a straight index fund or whatever? Correct, yes. So now I'm going to ask you a difficult question because there's, you know, IRS rules change a lot, but there's an arcane weird thing that the IRS has in its regulations, that if you tend to change jobs frequently, there's a loophole in how the traditional, uh, the um, after-tax 401k works, where the money can ultimately go into a Roth IRA and end up with the whole thing being sheltered from tax. And there's a conversion tax on earnings at that point and all that. It's like the kind of thing that I think makes accountants' tur- hair turn gray or fall out. <laughs> but there are advantages. If you're not a lifer where you work, mm-hmm. there are advantages to you doing the after-tax 401k. But I'll tell you All something right. about you I can tell already. You are going to be just fine financially in life because if you're just chomping at the bit to save and save and save, max out a Roth 401k, max out a Roth IRA, how about saving more money, you're going to be completely in control of your long-term destiny, and good for you. All right. Thanks, Clark. Thanks. Have a great day, Luke. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, David. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. I'm so glad you're asking me this question. 
<laughs> Go ahead. Uh, well, let me give you a little backstory, if that's okay. Uh, I bought a home about three years ago as a, kind of an investment um, type home. I found the cheapest house in a neighborhood that uh, I liked, and it's a, it's a fixer-upper, and it has a, a lot of equity potential. Um, I've been putting a little elbow grease into it. I had to buy a new roof recently, uh, which took away a little bit of the money that I wanted to put into the home. And now I have a, a life choice coming up, and I want to I want to act on it. I want to move to Alaska soon. Really? And, Where in Alaska are you going to go? Uh, it'll probably be the Anchorage area. Wow. So, have you been there before? Yes. I, I worked there uh, previously, and I have a few friends that live up there, and and uh, it's it's getting close, and I I really would like to hop on this job opportunity that I have. See, I could up. I could follow you up there, but only May to September. <laughs> I've only been up there during the summer, so maybe I won't like it when the winter comes around. But maybe I will. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, learn to ski or something. Uh, I'll try. I'll try. So you're gonna you're gonna bag where you are, move all the way to Alaska. And so that means you need to get this property skedaddled out of your life. Yes. I'd rather take the cash, put it all on my loans that I have currently, like pay off my vehicle, and, and then, you know, it'll be easier for me to live up there, you know, with no loan payments to pay on. So what is the deal with these we'll buy your house no matter what it looks like kind of places? Okay, so there that really became... In 10 years ago is we moved into the real estate bust uh-huh. and it's not quite as prominent as it was a decade ago but the way those things work is those are fellow real estate investors people that do the elbow grease and most often their market or let's say there's an old family house that the uh, parents have gone into a nursing home or they passed away House needs just endless work. Nobody in the family wants to get involved with that. They just want to get rid of it. And so these investors come in, and they will buy the house, no questions asked, as is pretty much, but the offers are generally pretty low offers. Okay. Because they are investors like you. They're trying to come in, do the fix-up, and either flip or turn it into a rental. So it doesn't hurt you at all to call a couple of those kind of entrepreneurial types and have them tell you what they'd offer you for your home, for this property, and at the same time talk to a traditional real estate agent to try to get a sense of what what the home and the condition it's in would go for. Okay. So I think that would be the way I would approach it, and then you'll be able to make the decision, is it something you were willing just to take, what would be giving somebody else a great deal, but you're done with it, you wash your hands of it, or you want to be patient and try to move it at market price. And have fun in Alaska. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Jason, you want to go to the happiest place on earth, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Disney, are you going to Universal also? 
Yeah, we'd like to do both. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I live in Iowa, and my wife and I have four kids, and we would like to go down to, to spend a couple days at Disney and a couple days at Universal. Now, you know, it's uh, expensive what... enough to do that that you'll have to sell one of the four of them to be able to pay for the trip for the other three. Yeah, probably. This is probably a once-in-a-lifetime deal for us. Well, um, how can I be of help? Do you want just general advice how to, how to do it? Um, yeah, that would be good, as well as just on, on pricing, you know, when it comes okay. to airfare, hotel, uh, tickets to Disney and Universal, potential rental car, is it better off to buy all those things, um, book all those individually versus going through like a travel agent or if, if there's a good website? Yeah, I'm going to give you some websites uh, straight ahead. I also wanted to mention a book I'd like you to get before you go. It's called The Unofficial Guide to Walt Disney World. Not the okay. official, that's a propaganda piece from Disney, but the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World is great. And it'll tell you everything that Disney doesn't want you to know about ways to do the trip and save money on it. Okay, great. Um, I want you to know about Mouse Savers and Mouse for Less. Mouse for Less has a newsletter called Magically Speaking. And the best deals generally in Central Florida for Universal and for Disney, for everything but the tickets to the parks, you're going to find on Mouse Savers. Okay. And there's a website called UndercoverTourist.com where you can okay. see the, end, the current scoop on ticketing for both Universal and Disney. And you'll be able to see whether for you and your four kids, are you going to do better on the uh, what multi-day pass is going to be best, if there is a good deal on a multi-day pass. And if you're not aware of this, Disney in particular has gone all in on variable pricing. So when you're planning a trip, you may find if you're buying tickets by the day, that one day of your trip may be a lot cheaper for the tickets than the next day. And they okay. put up a calendar at Disney's website showing the ticket prices by day. So as you're figuring out, well, should we go to Universal this day or should we go to Disney or whatever, you're able to see, well, we definitely want to go to Disney this day because it's $35 a ticket cheaper this day than the next day. Okay, great. And so Disney has a what they call the My Disney Experience Portal where you're able to map out your time in Disney parks and you're also able to book special things that you want to do with your kids that are Disney kind of stuff. And uh, as far as uh, we ran out of time to talk about the flying, a lot of places in the Midwest have service from Allegiant to Sanford Field on the north side of Orlando at very cheap fares, but Allegiant is a different kind of flying experience. Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. You can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. And when you're looking for deals, ClarkDeals.com. We got to talk. So two members of our team 
both have with their homeowner's insurance coverage for their cell phones. One of those staff members made a claim with her insurer when something happened with her cell phone. The other person on the crew made two claims with her insurer because of things that had happened with cell phones. And guess what happened? Both end up with a mark on the industry database, generally referred to as the Clue Report, that they had made claims on their homeowner's insurance. One with the one claim, the other with two claims. The two claims that the one had, not too long after that, she was shopping for another company for homeowner's insurance, and they told her she was uninsurable because she had these two homeowner's insurance claims in short order. The other got hit with a massive premium increase on their homeowner's insurance because they had made a claim about their cell phone. This gotcha involving homeowner's insurance, and I'll tell you the same about auto insurance, is underhanded, dishonest, unethical, and sleazy. The equivalent with auto insurance is your auto insurer may do a big pitch to you about very affordable roadside assistance. When you break down by the side of the road, we're there for you. You have a flat tire by the side of the road, we're there to change it for you and get you back on your way. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Because what the auto insurers are doing is it's a trap. If you call for roadside assistance with most insurance companies, they treat that as an auto insurance claim and then may boost your auto insurance premiums through the roof. Well, it wouldn't be a house, so to the sky. The other would be through the roof, what they do to your homeowner's insurance. And so what seemed like a deal, gosh, AAA is $80 a year or whatever it is, from my own automobile insurer for only $3.40 a month, I can cover all our cars or whatever price they come up with. It's just to trap you and cheat you. That's terrible. So think about it. You then are not able to shop with another auto insurer for three years and your premiums with the company you're with can go way up. So let me tell you the scoop. So the insurance industry has these two databases, one for auto claims, one for homes. And insurers are given unlimited discretion what they decide to call a claim. So here's a third example that you've heard from callers to the show. This happened to yet another staffer on our team. With many insurers, if you call with an inquiry about something that's happened with your car or home 
and do not make a claim. You just call with questions. A number of insurers will take the fact that you called in and they will post on the industry database that you made a claim. Dirty, underhanded, sleazy. There should be standards in the insurance industry on what constitutes a claim. A phone call asking a question should not be a claim. Having your cell phone repaired should not be a claim. Having a tire fixed, a flat tire fixed, should not be a claim. But think of the twofer the insurers get out of it. They spoil you to shop with anybody else, and then they can raise your rates at the same time when you can't go anywhere else. The other part of this is that your deductibles on your homeowner's insurance and your auto insurance should be as high as you can stand with your wallet. In the case of a home, as high as your mortgage lender will permit if you are part of the 70% of people who still have a mortgage on their home. Yeah, can you believe that? Roughly a third of people own their homes free and clear. Good for them. So you raise those deductibles because you never want to make a small claim against either your auto or homeowners, and especially your homeowners. You don't want to make a small claim because insurers in their calculations treat a claim for $1,200 the same as a claim for $200,000. Now, I just painted with a broad brush. That is the general industry practice. There may be an insurer or two that does differentiate claims based on the size. So anything small, even if it hurts, you want to pay for it out of your own wallet. And when you get those in your billing from your insurer when they have the colorful little leaflets saying add this to your insurance, add that to your insurance, add the other. Avoid the temptation because remember, remember, they're trying to trap you, not serve you, not help you. Susan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Susan. Hi there. Susan, you have a question for me that no one has asked yet with the retailers either folding or closing so many stores. What's your angle on it? Well, we've had this credit card for, store credit card for 20 years, and um, we got it, and, uh, and then basically we pay $8.95 a month because we... Um, my husband actually got life insurance on me uh, for it, and um, so that's all we've been paying on it for the last 20 years. And then we get this thing in the mail this past weekend and said that it's uh, converting the store credit card to a MasterCard. And I don't want another MasterCard. Actually, and, um, you do. They're giving you a gift. Really? I mean, and, and this is my, my fear is because we're wanting to renovate our home. And, and so we're looking, we're shopping for home equity um, loans because it's a big renovation. And um, so I guess that was my concern is that now we have 
should we get this and now because they're going to be checking your credit score and I guess that's what I was okay so about. here's the puzzle that's so unusual so normally somebody cannot send you a new credit card unsolicited right but if with a card you, that already exists if they simply change a little bit the nature of the card that is not considered to be a new application of credit for you it's not considered to be new credit even though the number on the front of the card will change the card will now start with a five which is the universal number for a MasterCard mm -hmm. and it will actually improve your credit score I know this is weird because a store card that becomes, or a gas station, a lot of the oil company cards did this as well, where they became allied with Visa or MasterCard, and so then it could be used wherever. Those moves are not considered to be new extensions of credit, and because it's a general purpose card, what's known as a major credit card, it's looked at differently in credit scoring and will give you a boost to the credit score when you're applying for the home equity line of credit. Okay. So it's good yeah. all the way around for you. Okay. And because um, I'm looking at it and it said that they, they will be running their credit check on us um, because um, to get a better credit option to earn rewards and all that stuff. And they said do you they, have to give permission for them to do that. Yes. Um, yes. All right. So no, they are. No. All right. So I've never had that question before. They are actually treating it as a new extension of credit. And that has that in all the years I've been on the air with these conversions, that's never happened. Because they said during the activation process, you may be asked to provide your annual net income in order to review your account for a higher credit limit. Now, that is not a new application for credit. Okay, that's not. Okay. That's not, because uh, when they're probably selling their, because the retailer's in so much financial trouble, right? they're probably selling their credit portfolio to a new institution, mm -hmm. and that institution is assuming those accounts, and they maybe want to know who they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But normally, that would be what's known as a soft inquiry, that okay. does not affect your credit versus a hard inquiry, which could lower your credit by temporarily maybe 12 points. Okay. So you think this is a good idea then for us to do this? Generally it is. If, you are, if you're being asked to make a whole new credit app, no. If, if they're saying if any of the language of what you're signing your name to says you're doing that, don't do it. And uh, how would you yes. pay for the life insurance if you don't agree with going to the new card. Right, and that's the only thing I was concerned about, too, because it does say no action is needed. It'll arrive in like a couple of months. It replaces your current Oh, if no card. action is needed, then yeah. it fits the, port, the profile of what I've said in the past. Okay, okay. So do yeah, no was... action. Do nothing. Okay, all right. And you'll be fine. Okay, great. And by the way, how long will it take you to pay back the home equity that you will borrow? Um, I think we're doing to do a 15-year. Oh, so you're going to do a home equity loan. Right. Do you still have any mortgage on your home? Very little. You may find that the interest rate would be more favorable, potentially, 
If you went to a credit union and did a new 15-year mortgage instead of doing the home equity loan, compare that. Are you in a credit union? No, but we we were. We can go back. Yeah, go, go join that credit union again. That may be better for you. And Vincent wants to throw the impossible question at me. Vincent, you want to go to Hawaii or any beach at Christmas? Yeah, Clark. So my mom wants to take a family trip for Christmas, and she really likes Kauai. That was the first suggestion. Kauai, when I started, you said? Uh, Kauai? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when I started looking at the places, it's almost like twice or three times as much as we pay when we go to Kauai. Yeah. So I was looking for maybe different alternative places. Every beach area in the country or the Caribbean, you will get clobbered through that period just before Christmas to just after New Year's. It's their top revenue uh, 10 days, two weeks of the year. Because think about it, the demand is through the roof. Are there any school kids involved in this group? No, no school kids. All right. I don't know if if you can do this, but the irony of it is the week before, usually leaving the mainland going to Hawaii or whatever beach you'd go to, if you look at going like the 16th, 17th, maybe even, no, probably the 17th would be the last day, the week before tends to be a lot cheaper for any of a number of fun-in-the-sun activities. For example, cruises are a lot cheaper that week before, and a lot of beach resorts are a lot cheaper, and rentals are a lot cheaper that week before. Okay. But if you've got to go uh, Christmas week, you're going to really frustrate yourself because unless you go to areas of the country that are not ultra warm at the beach like in south carolina north carolina the florida panhandle something like that you just pay un un incredible i can't even get the words out it just gets me so upset dollars edwards with us on the clark howard show you have a question about protecting your identity when you use your credit what's the story well, Clark, a few years ago, I opened a joint banking account uh, with an internet bank for household expenses. Later on, I opened an individual credit card with a major credit card issuer, and now the credit card issuer has purchased the internet bank. So I've got a joint account and an individual account with the same institution, and I'm wondering what I should do to make sure I don't have any problems with the crossover. So what happens is that you have had two completely discrete accounts with two sign-ins, and now everything's all in one. Somebody cracks one, they got access to everything? Well, yes, and also just I was wondering if there is any disadvantage to having my joint account at the same place as the individual account. Well, only if there was a, uh, a dispute of some kind where they seize money. Banks have what are called cross-collateral provisions in your account agreements that allow them if there's an issue with any account, let's say a check bounced in one or there was a dispute about one, they put in their language where they can go seize money from another. It's a reason that it's not good to have all your banking eggs in one basket. 
is because they administratively, without proving anything, without going to court, a bank without even notifying you will just go in and seize money from any account you have with them to settle something that they feel is their right to take because of an issue with another account you have with them. All right, and that was my concern. So you'd recommend that I just open, move one of the ones to a different institution and hope they don't buy one another, I guess? Yeah, you know, I think having your money at another online bank, having some of another online bank or at a credit union or a local community bank, that would be a good idea. Okay, great. Thank you for your help. Sure. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. Sure. And we've had a number of calls over the years involving these provisions where the banks go in and seize money from another account, no notice, and no due process at all. So that's why you don't want to ever have everything you have all in a single institution, because if the relationship with them ever goes south, your balance could go to zero. Thanks for listening to today's show, and if you want something new to tune into next, check out our executive producer Kim's podcast, The Empowerment Zone. She features stories from people and companies that can inspire and empower you. You can listen at Clark.com, Empowerment Zone, or whichever podcasting portal you're using right now to listen to me. Just search for The Empowerment Zone with Kim Drobes.